like shaking my head as, as I was doing these um, very important vocal warm-ups. Vocal warm-ups. And I almost threw my headphones off of my ears. I think it would have been good for the sake of the warm-up. Really get your whole body into it. Is that, is that what they call immersion? Yes. Well, it's, um, wait, was it character? Method acting. Method acting. Method acting. Is this, is this method acting? <laughs> All right, Elise, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Claire. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Welcome to our show. Don't, Don't watch, watch list. list. Where we give you the very best of the worst TV. We're excited to have you here. We've got some great episodes for you this week. Or some great content. Great TV shows for you this week. The TV shows are just a series of episodes. That's true. That's deep. They, yeah, I don't think it was that deep. No, it was really deep. <clears throat> was it? Mm-hmm. How deep was it? I feel like you're doing a bit and I don't know what the bit is. The bit is, how deep was it? And you're, I don't know, I was just throwing it to you. <laughs> Thanks, that's exactly what I wanted. I'm really glad <clears throat> that we were able to do that for you. So, um, I have I have some news to okay, kick off this week. Love to hear it. Oatly, the oat milk brand, uh, they changed best, best oat milk brand, best, we've talked a lot about, um, uh, sponsors last yeah. episode. Oatly, do you want to sponsor me specifically? I'd love to have you. You wouldn't anyway. even have to pay her. You could just, honestly, you could literally, great. just send her some merch. Just literally send me Oatly merch and I'll, I'll die of happiness. Um, but I do have one complaint against Oatly this week. Mm-hmm. They changed their caps. They changed their caps. On their oat milk cartons. What and I'm very mean? sad about it. So their caps used to be like regular standard sized caps to unscrew and then you would pour, pour your own milk. They changed it. So now the caps are like half as big. Okay. And so it's kind of like, um, to give you a good example, do you remember when like Dasani or Arrowhead or whatever fucking bottled water brand, I don't remember cause I don't drink bottled water, but when they changed their bottle bottled water caps to like the regular size caps that you could like get a good grasp on to like the baby caps for like infants Mm -hmm. and then you like would try and like unscrew it and it would be so small it'd be so hard you have these big meaty hands with fat fingers and you couldn't unscrew and it was just miserable experience all around and the water went everywhere because you weren't expecting to be able to actually get it off because it's like so little so that's how Oatly's caps are now okay they're just they're baby caps baby caps um and I'm sure it's for like environmental reasons or something or like saving, maybe, of yeah, they wanted to save plastic, I guess. I don't know. Um, but it just, it makes my day slightly worse. So mm-hmm. Oatly, please change the caps back. I know you're probably trying to save the turtles, but save these hands instead. <laughs> Should we just send that to their CEO? Yeah, I think the they'd be really inspired by it, honestly. Yeah. I would be really inspired well, by it's, it. I, it's the start of your day, right? Every single morning you're waking up and, and your poor little baby hands can't get a good grip on the baby. No, I have fat meaty hands. It's sorry, a baby I'm cap. Kidding. I'm sorry. It's a baby cap. I have fat meaty hands. That's why fat I can't get, That's why I can't open the carton. They look so, so thin on Zoom. You know, they say the camera takes away 10, 10 hand pounds. 10 hand pounds? I actually heard that same thing. Yeah. Well, it's it makes you look very knowledge. slender. Obviously. 
obviously. It's a classic saying. Um, you know, I've got I've got some news for you as well. And I think really? actually it might come as a comfort to you in this really hmm. trying time that you're going through with the caps in your big meaty hands. Yeah. Um so sad girl autumn is upon us. Mm, yeah, it is. Yep. So Taylor Swift, I would hope everyone listening knows is releasing her re-recording of Red on November 12th. Which is I'm so excited for that. I really enjoyed her re-recording of um, Fearless. Yeah, Taylor's version. It. And Red is, it's such a good breakup album. So if you're going through a breakup, I'm not, my partner refused to break up with me. So that's a whole other thing. But if you are going through a breakup, I think it would be the perfect album to listen to. Um, Why was it rude that your partner didn't break up with you? Please allow me. Because I feel like I should be allowed to experience a Taylor Swift album the way that it was intended. And in 2012, I was 15 and had never dated anyone. So obviously I couldn't that time. I got my second chance and he can't even help me out here, you know? That's so rude. It's incredibly fucked up, I would say. That's so rude. Yeah. So explain Um, to me what, what is the proper way to experience Red? Mm. So, Red was written after Jake Gyllenhaal broke up with Taylor Swift. We hate Jake Gyllenhaal. This is a Jake Gyllenhaal hate podcast, unless he wants to sponsor us, in which case we'll take it. Well, listen, all I know of Jake Gyllenhaal is that gif or, like, video of him swinging the ferret like a body bag, and I I really enjoy that, so. It's the ferrets you enjoy. It's not Jake Gyllenhaal. It's the ferrets being swung around by Jake Gyllenhaal, though. So listen, so listen, Jake Gyllenhaal told Taylor Swift that he would come to her 21st birthday party. He mm-hmm. told her he would do that. Do you know where he didn't show up? With no her explanation? Birthday. To her 21st birthday party. Damn. He left a Gucci scarf at his sister's house when she was up there in the autumn, all right? This is all in All Too Well. She's releasing a 10-minute version. You should really listen to it. There's a lot of backstory there. She left her scarf there. He mailed back all of her stuff. You know what he didn't mail back? Her scarf. <gasps> That's Jake brutal. Is garbage. Garbage, he man. He like just recently came out of the news. He was like, yeah, I only shower like once a month. Like, what's up with Wait. that? No, I saw that. Like, a ton of celebrities are doing that now. They're, like, coming out as anti-showers, and that's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard in my life. Don't do that. You should shower regularly. Like, you don't have to shower shower. every day. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But I would say multiple times a week would be nice. And wash your legs, folks. Wash your legs. It's not enough to let the soap run down your legs. No, no. That's not how they get clean. Can't get, gotta scrub. Scrub everywhere. You know, I just thought of a great, great TV show that I'm going to do at some point based on Mm -hmm. that comment. So thank you. Oh, oh, like for the show. For the show. I thought you were going to like create a new TV show. And I was just like, wow, I'm very inspirational today, I guess. Is a podcast not enough for you? No, I strive for the moon. Wow. Not the stars because I'm, I'm not crazy here. All right. I have realistic standards. Yeah, you you are live within this world, you know. Well, the moon isn't on this world, Claire. Yeah, but it's within this world. The moon is not on Earth. I didn't say it's on Earth. I said it's within this world. What? The world is Earth. I'm, I'm no longer taking questions. So anyway, Sad Girl Autumn. Anyway, uh, Sad Girl Autumn. 
Adele and Mitski, who have both been on extremely long hiatuses, are also releasing brand new albums this fall. So you can understand. It's going to be That's a crying in bed slash crying in your shower couple of months. Absolutely. Oh, God, that's going to be so good. I'm going to be broken, and I can't wait. Mm. Speaking of broken. Oh. What I didn't know if you had anything transition. else. I'm so excited to see where this goes. <laughs> um, I had a very disappointing pair this morning and yesterday morning, and I don't think that North Carolina has very good pairs. Could it just be the batch of pairs that you got, or did you buy them separately? I bought them separately. I bought one yesterday and one today. And the That's one yesterday rough. was disappointing, and the one today was disappointing. That's rough. I'm sorry. I love a good pair. So, <laughs> T-Swift hit me up with some early access red. Got Here's some shit needed. to cry about. <laughs> Maybe um, if any of our listeners want to <clears throat> send you some of those, like, Harry and David specialty pairs, you could just give them your address. That what is a Harry and... Harry and David specialty pair? They're okay. So Harry and David is like this specialty tea and snack company. Um, mm. And my parents always used to get a little basket for Christmas, like for my uncle's work. Um, and sometimes they would have pears in it and they were like specialty pears. They weren't normal pears. Were they like better than normal pears? No, they were just rarer than normal pears. But they were like on par with normal pairs. Baller. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Okay, I have one more piece of news to cheer you up. Oh, okay. Can get into it. So All right. Guy on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, his at is John Graz. J O N G R A Z. Okay. And so every morning, or almost every morning, he does a video with his very old pug, and he asks. Does my dog have bones this morning? And he wakes oh. his little tiny pug up and he tries to stand him up. And if he falls over, he doesn't have bones and that's bad luck. But if he stands up, then he's got bones and it's very good luck. And today he oh. stood up and he had bones. So. Oh my God. So today's good luck. Today's good luck. I'm going to cry. I highly recommend everyone follow him. That is so cute. That is like the sweetest thing I've ever heard. It's pretty great. Do you want to get started? I would love to get started. Since you went first last week, I think it's only fair that I go first this week. And we are a very fair and just podcast. We are a fair and just society of two here. Mm -hmm. On the moon, which is in this world. We're not on the moon. That's what we're shooting for, Claire. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So the show that I did this week is Once Upon a Time. And for those of you not familiar with Once Upon a Time, it's a ABC drama, originally came out quite a few years ago now in 2011. Mm -hmm. It had six seasons total, and the story itself is about fairy tale characters in the real world, uh, the real like modern world, like our world. So you can think of this kind of like, do you remember the movie Enchanted, one with Amy Adams and like the guy with the hair? Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's kind of like that, but also like completely different and like not like that at all. Oh, great. That's really helpful for my understanding. Yeah. It's like exactly like it in like zero ways. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. In like a couple ways, but like basically Like almost none. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so keep that in mind, right? That'll give you some context for this. Um, it centers itself in a town called Storybrook, which is in Maine, where all of these people, all these inhabitants of this town, Storybrook, are actually fairy tale characters. So like Snow White, Prince Charming, Red Riding Hood, but none of them actually remember their real identities. They've been cursed by this character, the evil queen, who's like uh, also a fairy tale character. Um, in the modern world, her name is Regina. And I think in the fairy tale world, her name's also Regina. Like she's the only one that keeps her name across the fairy tale world in the real world. It's kind of strange. Very girl boss of her. Very girl boss of her. And so the evil witch cursed all these people to forget their past lives and live basically as the worst version of themselves in the real world. And the only one who knows this is this little boy named Henry who goes to the, the story kicks off. He goes to Boston where his mom lives. <clears throat> his mom gave him away for adoption like 20 years ago, like a really long time ago. Um, and so this little boy, Henry, he finds his mom somehow in Boston and he's like, Hey, by the way, you're my mom. Remember you gave me up for adoption. Um, by the way, the town that I'm living in right now, whole town is cursed. Everyone's fairy tale characters. They forgot their, their real lives. Um, you're prophesized to break the curse hmm. so everyone can remember who they are. So let's boogie. And so then the story work? proceeds from there. That um, works. I'll, I'll let you, I'll let okay. you watch and see. I'll okay. let you watch. Yes, it works. She eventually ends up in Storybrooke because that's how that's how the story has to proceed. But it's uh, kind of interesting how it ends up there. And I'll talk a little bit about this uh, later on as okay. well. So the structure of the story itself, the, the season, at least the first season, it goes between the now in the real modern world and the flashbacks in the fairy tale world before the curse happened. So as the story is unraveling in the present, in the modern day, you're kind of getting the backstory and you're getting a sense of these characters in these flashbacks, which I think is a really cool way to structure the story mm -hmm. because it's kind of showing you um, the evolution of the characters as well as like how their old selves interact with their, their real selves. And I'll talk also about those two different character dynamics as well mm -hmm. um, because it's really interesting how the modern day like people who forgot their fairy tale selves um how that self is different than the fairy tale the original self so it's really interesting how those two interact and so i'll talk a little bit about that in a second <clears throat> but that's kind of the the general gist of the story why i chose it um there's there's not really a strong reason why it's just kind of <laughs> like I, I felt like watching it but i was recently watching manifest and the one of the main characters in Manifest is played by this actor, Josh Dallas. And that guy also plays one of the main characters, Prince Charming, happens to be mm. in What's Upon a Time. And so watching Manifest made reminded me how much I liked this actor. So I watched, I remember he was in Once Upon a Time, so I watched him there as well. He's very um, Prince Charming y. He's very Prince Charming. -y. Yeah, I can see. That. Um, very, very attractive young man. But also a little bit like if Prince Charming was a fuck boy. Yeah, but he's so nice. No, 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 I believe that. I believe that. But he has <laughs> a vibe where it could go either way. True. Yes, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
there's well the the reason why i say yes true why i kind of got <laughs> intrigued by that point is that um minor spoiler here it's revealed that the prince charming we know had a twin brother who was like a chatty prince charming oh and so and he plays both he plays both so you saw him as the chatty prince charming but you also saw him as like mm -hmm. the humble farm boy origins prince charming as well oh i love that he's that got the range he's got range he's very talented so are there any questions about kind of the the show as a whole have you watched this by the way i've watched i think i watched season one and season two but it was a very long time ago so pretty much all of this is news to me uh, like i remember the basic premise and i remember regina for whatever reason um <laughs> i do have one burning question and maybe you'll get to yeah. that is mm -hmm. the little boy creepy i find the little boys in television are so creepy little boys in television are so creepy he is not creepy okay. weirdly enough he's there is a creepy little boy in season three okay that is introduced um for those wondering it's peter pan peter pan's the <laughs> weirdest kid he's the weirdest kid you'll ever meet in your entire life like he's so creepy the actor who plays him does it so well where he's just like menacing enough mm. that like you're just like there's something unhinged in this guy <laughs> um but yeah henry himself is not creepy but not to worry there is a creepy little boy that's great and honestly creepy little boys in television and movies are like a thousand times creepier than creepy little girls yeah, unpopular opinion little girls are so weird but creepy little boys i get shivers i can't handle mm -hmm. it Ugh, i don't know what it is i have no idea what it is anyway so getting into the good the bad and the trashy <clears throat> there's a lot of good about this show um you mentioned you watched seasons one and two. Mm -hmm. That's really all the seasons that you need to watch. <laughs> well, but I don't get the creepy little boy then. You don't get the creepy little boy. Season three is also pretty good, I will say. Um, I liked season three a lot, but after season four, it really turned downhill. And I'll talk about that in a little bit here. Um, but yeah, see, seasons one, two, and three are really all you need mm -hmm. to appreciate once upon a time. For the trashy TV show it is. Great, great. So the good it's a very cool concept i really liked it um i'm a huge fan i'm not really like a disney person that much i really like the old school disney so like the cinderella the beauty and the beast like all of those um i think is robin hood disney or are they pixar like the the one with the I think it's disney. fox I think disney so i like kind of old school disney but i wouldn't call myself like a disney person yeah um, that's good <laughs> But I am like, I am a fan of fairy tales. So like Grimm's fairy tale. I wanted to say Grim Reaper, but that's not Grimm fairy Grimm's tale. Grimm's Brothers. Grimm's Brothers. Yeah. The Grimm's Brothers fairy tales, all those. Um, it was a huge part of my childhood growing up. Like I used to take piano lessons. I don't know if you knew that. I used to take piano I lessons. I did know that. Yeah. But no one else did. <laughs> no one else did. So there you go. Um, and in the waiting room for my piano teacher's kind of office type area, like while you were waiting to go in while the other lesson was wrapping up, she had this big book of fairy tales. And I don't know if they were the Grimm's Brothers versions or if they were just kind of like standard old fairy tales. They weren't the Disney versions, but they were just like this collection of like all these different short stories and fairy tales. 
And so I would just read those before my um, piano lesson, like every single day. And so that was just really cool. So they've been kind of a, a fun little part of my life growing up. So that just kind of brings me around here. It, it's a super cool concept and it drew me in right away originally the first time I watched it because I love the idea of fairy tales and like fairy, fairy tale characters spun in kind of different ways, mm -hmm. um, which I think that at least at first they did quite well in this show. Mm -hmm. And so I also liked the, the fact that these characters are living a version of themselves in the real world, in the modern world, that's recognizably them. So you can tell that there's a couple characteristics from their past fairy tale selves that are being brought along to the present, but they're definitely negatively colored by the real world. Mm -hmm. So for example, Snow White, which that's her kind of fairy tale persona in the real world, her persona, the modern world, her persona is Mary Margaret. Um, these are two very similar, but also very different characters. So Snow, Snow White is kind. She's also super brave and outspoken. And she like is just kind of this thief, kind of Robin Hood type persona. Mm -hmm. um, whereas Mary Margaret, she also has that core kindness. So that core feature of her personality, but she's a lot more soft-spoken, kind of introverted. She allows herself to get pushed around a lot. Mm -hmm. So you can see where kindness in the fairy tale world is rewarded because good always wins everybody has a happy ending whereas in the modern world kindness is often taken advantage of which mm -hmm. i thought was a really interesting thing that they never really pointed to but they heavily kind of implied it and it had the those kind of undertones which i found really interesting yeah that sounds really interesting like it's sort of this like social commentary on like the way kindness and I imagine other you know quote-unquote good qualities are like taken advantage of so maybe that's why people don't want to do those things you know exactly exactly um and the actors themselves on the whole do a very good job of separating out those two personas on screen so Prince Charming uh his real world persona is David Nolan um he he's very good at like taking on a princely aura like the actor mm -hmm. is i it's very hard to explain but um he david nolan he's just kind of this regular everyday guy he's like fine he's like nice and everything but he's kind of a scumbag he cheats on his wife um with yeah. snow white who is his true love but it's also not a good thing to do mm -hmm. like that's there's not allowed there there's nuance there it's also like one of these things that it's like colored by the real world. Like in the fairy tale world, you could just leave your wife because, oh, she wasn't your true love. So it's perfectly fine to go after your true love. And that's what everyone's rooting for. In the real world, that's kind of a shitty thing to yeah, do. It's a scumbag move. It's a scumbag move because people aren't characters. People are real people with real feelings that are complex and everything like yeah. that. Um, but when you see David Nolan, he's just kind of this ever like everyday regular guy when you see him as prince charming he has his like shoulders back he has this like princely stature and i didn't notice this until like the second watch through but he's just it's so subtle the way he like changes his his whole vibe um but once you notice it you can't like unnotice it he's oh it's so good he's so good at it and this happens with a couple other characters too but just with him it's just so striking how good he is at switching between the two nice 
Um, and so this next point, it's kind of the point that I was bringing up before. If you're a fan of fairy tales or fairy tale type stories in general, um, it's really cool to see how they twist all of these classic stories and they like throw in little details in the most unexpected of places. So like when they tell Beauty and the Beast, the Beauty and the Beast story, the beast isn't like a literal monster with like the whole wolf head or whatever they, the Disney guy had going on, but it's a metaphorical monster where like the guy is just not really a good dude and everyone was calling him a monster or calling him a beast. Mm-hmm. It's about the metaphor. Wow, I love it. And then like there's the chip teacup, but it's not like a character like it is in the Disney version. It's like a metaphor for like a relate the relationship between the beauty and the beast and like the rose makes an appearance, but it's not a central thing like it is in the original version. It's more like just kind of a wink to the audience. It's like, oh, here's the little rose. Like I know you were expecting that. So it's it's twisting these stories, but like throwing in these classic elements like oh, you think we forgot, but we didn't. And it's just so cool to like catch those little details because it shows, especially in the first two seasons, how much attention to detail the writers were paying attention to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it does fall apart. And we'll talk about that. And it made me really sad. But the first couple seasons, they do this excellently. Um. The last thing I want to mention in the good category here is the protagonist, Emma. So Emma was the mom that would lived in Boston that came because Henry was just like, hey, you got to break this curse. And she's very much the reluctant protagonist. But what I find so cool is she follows the hero's journey literally exactly, like point by point exactly. So she lives in the ordinary world. She has a call to action. She has the refusal of the call. She has the meeting of the mentor, the crossing of the threshold, like all of these types of things, like crossing of the crossing of the threshold. She literally has the boundary of the town that she is crossing into the fairy tale world or not the fairy tale world, but like the modern equivalent of it. Oh, I just, I love a good thematic element and that just Mm. because it's fairy tales and this is the hero and it was so good it was so good um so i just wanted to pepper that in there because i really (laughs) appreciated that they they threw that in because it just shows the attention the detail that and like the planning that this had for the first two seasons well and that makes sense because like fairy tales focus so much on like a hero's journey Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that in this story about fairy tales and about modern fairy tales, they do the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. Like, oh, just so thematic because the hero's journey came from fairy tales. It came from these classic tales in literature. So not specifically fairy tales, but like also um, things like, yeah, Greek mythology, the Odyssey, all of those kinds of things. It came, it came as an amalgamation from all of these, but it was perfectly thematic for what they were trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, which brings me to, unfortunately, the bad section. I know. (laughs) So after about season three, a little bit in season three, but really shows in season four, like notoriously so in season four, uh, the show goes way downhill. You can tell the writing drops off. I don't know if there was like something going on with um, 
I know for some some shows there was like a, a writer's strike that was going on and so that wasn't the fault of the writers that the the shows right. went downhill so I don't want to blame the writing per se just in case there was something like that going on that I'm not aware of um but just the plot becomes insufferable the character dynamics like just become circular they're having the same tensions the same arguments over and over again and there's nothing new being added like the new content is um so slight spoiler alert i'm sure most people who have like heard anything about once upon a time have heard this by now but they bring in modern disney characters so they bring in frozen um i think later they bring in like the tangled characters but not really in the traditional rapunzel way like eh, it's just once they tried to bring modern disney into it it just fell apart um and i don't know like if it was the producers pushing that if it was just like the writing fell off why it happened but you can tell it just it just was bad like it wasn't enjoyable to watch it was the characters were just starting to get really annoying um and so i personally stopped watching i think in season four or five i truthfully didn't finish to um the end of season six but it's just they completely dissolved everything that they had built in seasons one and two mm -hmm. um and again a little bit in season three because season three wasn't that bad i will say like they did have really good uh aspects in it but season one and two you could really see the care and the thought that was put into all of these details and all of these character dynamics um but once in season four, they brought in Frozen, everyone kind of rolled their eyes and the audience was just disinterested because they were like, oh, so we're doing modern Disney things. So it's been taken over by Daddy Disney and nobody wants to see that. No one wants Daddy Disney. Nobody wants Daddy Disney. Um, a, couple, a couple other like minor notes, the dialogue for the fairy tale world, it was very clear they wanted to differentiate it from the modern world. So they had a lot of, you shall not do this, how dare you and it was a pass. little thou shall not pass but not in a cool way that lord of the rings <laughs> does it in kind of a cringe way um so the actors sometimes were able to pull this off depending on how good they were it was just kind of all over the place so um it was good not great i'll say mm -hmm. the dialogue it was kind of cringe sometimes but it wasn't like terrible mm -hmm. um and then this isn't bad per se, but uh, the guy who plays Rumpelstiltskin slash his modern day equivalent, Mr. Gold, um, he's played by this actor, Robert Carlyle. Robert Carlyle is insanely talented. He is way too good for this show. It's like he's carrying this entire show on his back the entire time. Um, you need a chiropractor. Gonna need a chiropractor after all that carrying. And oh, you, you just have to watch the show to see how good it is because he completely becomes the character of Rumpelstiltskin, who's this kind of like impish little uh, mischievous character. Whereas Mr. Gold is just very like stoic, very a little like creepy kind of lurky guy, but it works together. Like you can see how they got Mr. Gold from Rumpelstiltskin. And it's, oh, it's just crazy cool. He's insanely talented carries the show on his back. He's by far the best actor of them all. Like I have a special place in my heart for Josh Dallas who plays Prince Charming, but Rumpelstiltskin, Robert Carlyle, well, a flawless performance. And so at, after about season three or four, they do some stuff with this character that 
you can tell he finds it hard to keep up with. Like mm -hmm. he doesn't really buy into his character anymore or he's not really having that much fun with his character anymore, uh, which is kind of a bummer, but it's also part of the reason why the show kind of went downhill is like, the, you could tell the actors weren't really invested in their characters anymore because their characters weren't interesting anymore. They were having the same arguments over and over again. Um, but yeah, so those, so those are some of the, the bad points. Um, the trashy, I'll go over our three core elements of a trashy TV show. Unbelievable plot. Yep, they're based on fairy tales. They're going to be a little unbelievable. Um, but the plot got circular. It kind of got annoying. They're solving the same problems over and over again. Romance, yes. Prince Charming and Snow White, most beautiful, cute little sweet partnership ever. Characters, um, some were better than others. Like I said, Robert Carlyle playing Rumpelstiltskin was really good. Prince Charming was really good. Um, but a lot of the characters, I won't name names because I don't want to be mean, um, but they just kind of fell off towards the end uh, and kind of like in the middle. So it just didn't have that consistency that really had you rooting for them, which is why when the writing fell off, when the plot started getting kind of crappy, like sometimes a char good characters can save that the characters weren't good enough to save that in my opinion. So my takeaway, it would have been good if it had a three season stint and they just mm -hmm. kept it at that. But like most shows, it just went on too long. The quality went off the, the rails and uh, just not, not a good time. Yeah, the classic denigration. No classic. show to be past season three. I mean, there are some shows that are very good past season three. The Good Place mm -hmm. has my heart ended at the perfect oh, season six. Beautiful. You know, mm -hmm. but for the most part, I think most shows can end at season three. Exactly. Like they should have it planned out like a rise and a mm -hmm. fall of an arc. I thought it, I think it would have been perfect if they had ended at three seasons. Um, but it just went on for too long. Denigration of quality. <laughs> that was a beautiful SAT word. Uh, one last thing I want to put in here as a last note on this. Uh, before I open it up to your questions, Claire, if you have any last notes on this or thoughts. Um, if you watch Once Upon a Time, which I do recommend you do at least up to seasons either two or three, up to you if you're feeling spicy and you want that creepy little boy in season three. Um, <laughs> try its spinoff, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. It has, I think, either two or three seasons, but it is so good. It, it has the exact um, essence that Once Upon a Time captured in its like first two seasons. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, I think it was really good. So definitely give it a watch if you liked Once Upon a Time. Cool. I haven't actually heard of that one. I will add it to my list for sure. Yes, definitely. Cool. I have, I have one burning question. Okay. Yes. So your reveal that Prince Charming and Snow White are soulmates really threw mm -hmm. me for a second, here, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. my understanding is that, like, you have a main protagonist, and then they date the Prince Charming-esque character. But that clearly doesn't happen in this show. So that what's going happen. on there? Like, does the protagonist woman, Emma, I think you said her name was, does she mm -hmm. have someone? Like, what's, what's that? That is a fantastic question. I am so <laughs> glad you asked it. So Emma, her whole thing is... Like I mentioned at the very, very beginning, she's a reluctant protagonist. She really doesn't like the fact that she's supposed to break the curse. She's the quote unquote savior. Yeah, like everyone keeps calling her the savior, which she hates. No. I would hate that too. <laughs> like, no, thank you. Um, 
so she's kind of this rebellious, um, how do, like rogue type where she has kind of a criminal-ish past mm-hmm. Asterix. You'll have to watch to see mm-hmm. exactly what the nature of that, that past is. Um, but she's really drawn to men she shouldn't be drawn to, like bad boys and things like that. So her whole thing is that anytime there's a bad boy that comes into town, <laughs> like little, little Mr. No-No. I don't like you. You called him little Mr. No-No and wagged your finger while you did it. Listen, the audience didn't have to know that I wagged my no, finger. They, they needed to know. I regretted it. That, <laughs> anyway, anyway, whenever a, a little Mr. No-No comes to town and does his little mysterious, like, I'm not going to tell you why I'm here or like, I'm here, but it's for bad reasons. But like, maybe you can save me. I don't know. She always falls for him day mm, after day after hook, day. Hook, line, and sinker. Hook, line, and sinker. So <clears throat> that's what I really enjoy is that she's always into like, the kind of bad boys, which is really gratifying to me because I love <laughs> me myself a good bad boy. Mm. Um, but you also get like the nice, sweet, healthy relationship in Prince Charming and Snow. Like they're soulmates. They're not going to argue. That's for mm. Emma and whoever she happens to be dating at the moment. <laughs> I so love very that. good question. Very good question. It's, a, it's also a really great part of the show. It's really fun to watch. Awesome. Yeah, you did a great job. I love that. Thank you. Are you ready to uh, take over? So this week I have for you the wonderful TV show, You. Ooh, I love You. That wasn't a declaration of love, by the way. That was <laughs> You, the TV show. It's, I also love You as a person. Thank you. Um, very good. Very good choice. Yeah, so I picked it because last week we did Gossip Girl um, and... Love of my life, Penn Badgley, stars in, in Gossip Girl. And Obsessed he also, with Penn Badgley. Such a great name, such a great man. Um, and he also stars in You. Um, and then also season three comes out October 15th. And Word. so this is the perfect time to binge season one and two. So let's get into it. Okay. So You is like another psychological thriller. Apparently I have a, a type for my trashy TV shows. Um, So the main character is Joe Goldberg. What a nice, unassuming name. He's a bookstore manager in New York City. And in the first episode, he meets Guinevere Beck. She goes by Beck. Um, They have a cute little meet cute in the bookstore. They have a little flirtation thing going on. And you're thinking, oh my God, this is so cute. I love this. I love love. And then Joe has to ruin it. And he starts stalking Beck. Like, he stalks her Joe, bad. why? He stalks her bad. Oh, no. Joe, come on. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So he follows her home to her, like, garden-level apartment, where she never closes her windows or blinds. So, like, girl, let's put in some privacy measures. Neither do I, though. So, like... Do you live in the judge- garden level? I don't. I live very high up the ground. Thank you. Um... So yeah, he find and I'm not, I'm not, that's not a spoiler. That literally happens in the first like 20 minutes. The next part that I'm going to talk about is a little bit of a spoiler. So just warning. Um, so he finds her like toxic ex-boyfriend 
and literally locks him in a cell in the basement of the bookstore so that she can't go back to him. Um, he stalks her that's friend. It's not, not something that normal normal folks do to solve their problems, buddy. I sure hope not. Um, he finds a bunch of her friends like online and starts to stalk them as well. Um, with the goal of clearly being, like, the main influence in her life. Um, so he stalks this one girl, Peach, love the name, that was my Animal Crossing character name, um, who happens to be in love with Beck just a little bit, um, and so he tries to drive a wedge between them, because that doesn't work for Joe. He's in love with Beck. Um, at one point he, like, steals her underwear and just, like, keeps it. For keeps? keeps um it's like does really, he it just goes on why why does he need her under is it like a is it like a he sniffs it thing I don't like that I think he just wants to have it I think it's more of Ugh. a I need parts of her thing it's Ugh. super creepy and gross hate that so eventually she finds out about all of this and they're they're dating during all of this they're going on dates, they go on a road trip together, like, she's absolutely in love with him, but then eventually she finds out that he is an insane person, um, she, like, finds her underwear at his house, which she had, like, never worn there, so, and then she, like, unravels other parts of it, so they have this big blow-up fight, um, and I won't tell you what happens because of the fight, because it's too big of a spoiler, um, and then season two comes along, right, and in season two, Joe has moved to L.A. He's a West Coast boy now. West um, Coast, best coast. Wrong. Wrong. Um, and so he's, like, rethinking his whole life after the events of season one. He's a changed man. He's thinking, I'm going to do better. I'm not going to fall into my old really bad habits of, like, finding and kidnapping and stalking people. Yeah, you know, like your your typical bad habits, typical biting bad your nails, stalking people, you know, what can level. you do? Um, but then he meets this girl. Oh, cute. Girl named Love. Stop. And, yeah, her name's Love, and her brother's oh, name's God. 40, so 40 Love, like the golf term. Um, oh, that's cute, actually. Shut up. I no, think. Back. Um, and so naturally he falls back into these bad habits. He starts stalking her. He befriends her twin brother as a way to like get information on her. He even gets a job at the business that her parents own as a way to like weasel his way into her life. Um, twist of all twists. She's fucking crazy too. She's knocking yes. him back the whole time. How do you like them apples, Joe? <laughs> um, and so, I mean, that's the main, like, thick of the plot is these, like, lovey-dovey relationships sort of bookended by all of this crazy stalker stuff happening. Um, but in both seasons, more in season two than in season one, you also get this sort of unfolding of Joe's backstory. Um, so you think, so throughout the show, he has this like all encompassing need to help young children in his life and actually help them, even though he's psychotic and like doing all of this crazy stuff, he will protect a young kid whose parent is abusive, or he'll make sure that a young girl who's 
in a relationship with like a super older guy knows what she's doing and, and all of that and you find out that it's because he was abused and neglected by his parents but the interesting thing is that none of that makes him sympathetic like the writers mm. do a really good job of being like yes yeah, sad things happen to him and he can do some good things but he's still weird and gross and we don't like him um so i think that that was really well done so i really like that yeah, I, I really appreciate when um, a writer or like a screenwriter or whoever can make a villain that has understandable motives, but is still not sympathetic. Because I feel like there's a trend nowadays that every villain has to be sympathetic and you have to understand and appreciate their motives. You don't have to appreciate their motives. You can still be a shitty person. Absolutely. But... Like, you you need to, regardless, for a well-crafted villain, need to understand why they're doing the things they're doing. They can't just be evil. Right. They have to, like, have some kind of thing going on. Um, and I think, what, oh gosh, what was the name of that Hunger Games book you recommended to me? Uh, Song of Snakes and Birds. Let me, let me look it up real quick while you say your point, because I was going to make the same point, so. Yeah. That's a good point. Hold on, I have it have it in my my bedroom give me one second it's the ballad of song ballad of songbirds and snakes also you so, better bring that to me next time you're in boston oh right so <laughs> claire uh gave me a book most recent book in the Hunger Games series. It's a prequel. Mm -hmm. And it's called The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which I found out first. Because um, no, I have everyone the book. already knew this because I reported it first. Thank you. I reported it first, clearly, because um, I have it in my bedroom right now. It's Claire's copy. <laughs> um, but they loaned it to me, and I read most of it. I'm not done with it yet, admittedly. I just realized that I have like 100 or so pages left. You've had it for months you always do she always does this she won't finish things that she enjoys because she doesn't want them to be over she does it with movies she does it with tv shows she does it with books apparently listen i didn't need to be called out this hard <laughs> in front of everybody um but this is true i don't like finishing things that i really enjoy this goes for video games this goes for tv shows i'll always leave like the last episode or two unseen because then there's always more no, to appreciate no, and so you can make up whatever ending you want no and if you ever are really hankering for new content it's always there no it's always there i have everybody's sympathy don't worry about it anyways ballad of songbirds <laughs> and snakes going back um the protagonist is president snow who is not president in the book it's about his kind of childhood slash like growing up into a young adult um but it's about Coriolanus Snow and it sh it does this the thing that we're talking about really really well where you understand why he is the way he is you understand why he thinks the way he does because of his background but you still think he's a dick like he's still somebody that you dislike and you don't have to sympathize with him to understand the motivations behind his characters and why he's capable of doing such monstrosities, which I think is very powerful, especially when you're writing a villain that commits such horrible acts like he did in The Hunger Games. Yeah, and I think it's that point 
not to be really bougie with my reference, um, but Hannah Arndt, who said God, you're so bougie. I know. Um, you know, she, she's a Holocaust studier, researcher, scholar. That's the word I'm looking for. She's Mm -hmm. a Holocaust scholar. Um, and you know, she said that it's really important that we recognize that the people who commit atrocities are also just people. And Mm -hmm. so there's not this like evil archetype that commits atrocities and that carries out all of these horrible acts that happen in our daily lives. Like it's a person just like you and me. And so I think when you can give someone this like sympathetic background while also recognizing that they are committing an atrocity and therefore they don't deserve your sympathy. I think that that reminds us of that principle that like the people who do bad things are still people. Um, and like we, we should always be on the lookout that like those people could be us. So like, don't be that person, you know? I completely agree. Absolutely. Wow, that got deep for you. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, okay, so the best part of the show, we're going to do the good, the bad, and the trashy. Mm-hmm. So the good, the number one thing that I love about this show is that they do mystery really well. Um, they do such a good job of creating suspense. It's it's in the music, it's in the filming, it's in the staging, It's in the way that the characters interact with each other, the big reveals that they have. Um, You know, I'm thinking of one scene where Joe gets like trapped in an apartment that he's not supposed to be in. And they have this huge lead up to whether or not he's gonna be discovered in the apartment. And so the person is just doing all of these really mundane things and the music is really calm when you see them. And they're, you know, putting their phone down. They're going to open the window in the corner because they just got home and it's a little stuffy. Um, And Joe is freaking out and he's hiding in the shower curtain and he's looking around. He's trying to figure out if they're gonna come into the bathroom and the music gets all like, quick and suspenseful um and so they just do stuff like that really well um they handle twists phenomenally so a lot of them are foreshadowed in a way that give you that satisfaction of i knew this was gonna happen but then some of them come seemingly out of nowhere like they're never made up it never feels like oh the writers just threw this in to throw us off it it always feels natural to the storyline but you never would have guessed that it would have happened you know Mm -hmm. um i'm thinking of this one reveal at the end of season one that i will not share because it is too good of a reveal (laughs) too juicy but you literally as soon as it happened it's the last frame of season one that this happens and you sit there for five minutes and you think to yourself no no but wait i thought because they said wait they didn't say I just assumed, oh, it's so good. That sounds so good. It's incredible. I highly recommend that you at least watch season one so you can get the satisfaction of that reveal because it's so perfect. Um, And they do that all throughout season two as well, where there are these like nail biter situations where you're trying to figure out, is he going to get caught? And it's funny because you want him to get caught, but you still have that anxiety of someone's about to be caught. Um, so you like your so heart cool. starts pumping and it's, it's really good. Um, there's not that much that's bad about this show. The one thing I will say is that it is in fact a show about a psychopathic stalker. 
um, who murders people and gets into relationships with vulnerable women. So there is that. You know, I mentioned to my partner that season three was coming out and I was like, oh, we should, we should watch this together. And he was like, why, why would I want to watch that? So I can understand that it's not everyone's mm -hmm. cup of tea for that reason, but <clears throat> I wouldn't yeah. really say that there are a ton of negatives outside of that. It's just a really well done show. Yeah. Um, the trashy. So <clears throat> the thing that I think that this show absolutely nails is the transition between a hook season that gets an, a wide audience interested in your show, is super well done, is intriguing, and leaves you on a bit of a cliffhanger so that you want to come back, to the Trash TV Hall of Fame. They nail that transition. So I'll explain. The way they do this is that season one is about one story. It's about Joe Goldberg, and it's about Guinevere Beck. Um, <clears throat> and it's character building between them, it's focusing on their relationship. It's focusing on, you know, showing you how insane Joe is. It's focusing on a lot of the weird things happening in her life. Like she has a relationship with a professor who's like threatening her. And Joe has a weird thing going on with his neighbors and the neighbor's son that I mentioned a little bit where he really needs to protect this kid. Um, and so it's, it's, everything is centered around these two people and their lives. <clears throat> and so it does that character and that relationship part of the like, you know, three top things that you need for a good trash TV show. And then in season two, they expand that. So then they start telling a bunch of stories all at once where they, you start hearing about love and love's relationship. Um, and there's another character who comes on the show who I won't, I won't tell you who she is. You start hearing about her backstory and her relationship to Joe and love and all of these other people and love's twin brother, um, and his like drug addiction and detoxing. And then Joe's new neighbors and the young girl is in the relationship with this older guy um, and he's got a bunch of baggage. And so what's going on in his story? And so now that like unbelievability comes from all of these absolutely batshit crazy stories unfolding all at once and intertwining themselves with each other and how the characters are interacting with people they've never met before versus people that they may have known for their whole lives. And they just do that so, so well. Um, Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you, do you have any questions before I wrap up with one last thing? Yeah. I just want to ask you a question on your, cause we have those three aspects of a trashy TV show, right? Mm -hmm. The unbelievability for the plot, which you mentioned, it comes around really in full force in season two. Um, it has the characters, the characters are really good. Again, that's mainly in season two, but you still have the kind of concentration of the characters in season one. For the relationship, mm -hmm. is it, are they twisting kind of your, your typical idea of rooting for a relationship in the show with Joe and, um, what's her name in, in season Beck. one? It's not love, Beck. Beck. With Joe and Beck, are they kind of twisting that because they know like some people out in the world are probably rooting for Joe and Beck. I'm I'll sure even that. though it's, Ooh, okay. But are they, is the point to twist that kind of traditional relationship in the show or is the real relationship that you're rooting for Joe and 
him showing his humanity, his kind of centered, stable self with his relationship with these, you know, children that need his help? I think that's a really great question, first of all. And I think you're not meant to root for Joe in any sense, but you do root for the children that he helps. And in some cases you think maybe they would be better if Joe wasn't involved. Like in both mm. cases, Joe does something that even though he does it trying to protect these children, it ultimately makes their lives worse. And I don't, I don't think Joe even understands that. So you're definitely not meant to root for that. And you're certainly not meant to root for Beck and Joe. So an interesting thing is that actually this show in season one, and I'm, I'm unsure about season two, but in season one, half of the episodes were directed by women and half of them were directed by men. Um, and so Beck, the person who is being stopped, said that she felt really comforted by having the female directors because they were able to shoot in a way that clearly painted Joe in this terrible light where like you are not meant to root for him. And so I think the relationship, right, that you're rooting for is more about like Beck and then in season two love getting away from Joe. Like you're rooting for the end of this relationship, even as it's coming together, oh, you know? Interesting. Like, yeah. You, know, you spend the whole time being like, oh my God, they need to get out. Like, why does she not see that this is creepy? How did she miss this? So you're rooting for that, even though you would think, right, as you're saying that the relationship between the two of them is what you would normally be rooting for in a non-psychological thriller TV show. Yeah kind of gone girl-esque ish very it's it's completely like it in all respects except that it's nothing like it full circle baby full circle um no it's it's very similar in that like I love gone girl first of all I think it's a phenomenal movie and mm -hmm. you spend a lot of it wondering like who's the bad guy here and I think that that happens in you as well, where you know at least one of them's a bad guy, but you're like, is anyone else a bad guy? I think other people are a bad guy. And so yeah. you get that <clears throat> aspect of it as well. And then like you're saying, like you're obviously not rooting for, I can't remember their names in Gone Girl, but you're certainly not rooting for those two to get back together. And so it's a very simple mm -hmm. thing. Nice. Okay. The last thing that I want to leave you with. Um, so you touched on this. Um, it's, unfortunate but people be crazy um and so there are certainly some people out there who were rooting for joe and beck and i don't i don't know if that's a like oh my god he loves her so much he cares because that's why he's stalking her or if it's just a i expect to root for the couple to be together and so therefore that is what i will do like a laziness in consumption i think a similar thing happened with uh in jessica jones with Jessica, titular character, and Kilgrave, Kilgrove, Kilgrave, 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 um, were like, he's a horrible person, but people were still like, oh, but this is such like a hot, intense relationship. Like, no, 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 no. See that? So I think it's a little bit of both. Like, some people are just like, these two characters, like, were once in a relationship or are in a relationship, so I should be rooting. And a little bit of the kind of taboo, like, oh, they shouldn't be together. So it's like kind of like 
something I shouldn't want, but I do anyway, like that yeah. kind of thing, which is like not great. Like, fix him mentality too. Yes. Like, oh, we'll be better for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Penn Badgley hates this. He hates this so much. He almost didn't take the character because he was like, I don't want to romanticize this sort of abuse. Um, but he, he worked a lot with the directors, a lot of the women, a lot of the men who were directing it and the writers. Um, and they were like, we will work so hard to make sure that you come across as the bad guy. And so eventually he signed on. Um, but in a lot of interviews, he'll tell people like, fucking stop shipping them. Like, stop saying that you think Joe is attractive. Like, stop it. No, bad. Um, bad. So good on him for that. God, I love Penn Badgley. The most interesting thing that I found about Penn Badgley while I was prepping for this episode is that he made the comparison between Dan Humphrey, who he played on Gossip Girl, and Joe Goldberg, and said that Joe Goldberg is a meta-progression of what Dan could have become if Gossip Girl had a different tone in its narrative. Um, and I good. that is so incredibly accurate because you see, I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but you see Dan Humphrey definitely having some antisocial behavior, definitely having a God complex, definitely thinking that he deserves things rather than he has to earn them. And all of that is in Joe Goldberg too. And I hadn't yes. thought of it until he said it, but I, I and of course the obsessing over just a girl yeah. and idealizing her, putting her on a pedestal, Absolutely. and they're both and blonde letting, too, and they're both blonde naturally. <laughs> that is so interesting. Yeah, I thought that. Wow. Was so you have to watch both naturally, so you yeah. understand the progression. I recommend Gossip Girl first, you know, mm-hmm. figure out who Dan is. Yeah, under understand. Dan the character. Yeah, what's he got going on under his skin? That little boyo. <laughs> all right, that's all I've got. So, anything you want to talk about before we go? That was about your episode or just in general? Either or, whatever feels natural. Well, I think that was phenomenal. I love you, the TV show. I think uh, everyone should watch it after they watch Gossip Girl so they can understand the meta progression. Or before, and then just, you know. Go back. Topsy-turvy. Go back. Topsy-turvy. Watch you, and then watch a little Gossip Girl, and then watch you again. Just a little bit more Gossip Girl. Sprinkle in some uh, Criminal Minds, maybe, (laughs) once in a while. Really (laughs) understand. A lot of time plays into this. Uh, If you need a little little break from... Palette cleanser. But I have a before we go. Oh, great. It is... Not a TV show. Okay. It is a video game, like last week. (laughs) Uh, Do not call me a gamer, because I will cry. Assigned gamer at birth, got it. (laughs) But I do like playing video games every now and again. I like more relaxed video games, so I'm a huge fan of Stardew Valley, Animal Crossing, all those. Um, There is another, but neither of those are my before we go. Okay. Mine is, it's a... Oh gosh, I'm gonna forget the exact terminology. Deck building roguelike video game. I know exactly what that means. <laughs> say anything else. And so it's called Slay the Spire. And the idea behind this game is 
you're meant to be able to play an entire quote unquote run of it. So an entire playthrough of it in about an hour and a half to two hours. So it's meant to be pretty quick, but that's where the roguelike aspect comes in is you're supposed to play it over and over and over again and you get progressively better each time. Mm -hmm. So that's the the roguelike part of the title, not part of the title, but part of the moniker description. The other part is deck building. So the way you progress through this game is you're given um, a series of cards as you fight battles throughout the spire. It's called Slay the Spire. You slay battles in the spire. Um, And so as you're progressing to the top of the spire, you're fighting these battles and you're being, after you win each battle, you're given a card reward and you can choose between three different cards. And the idea is battle by battle, you're building out your deck of cards, kind of like Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon or whatever, um, to be able to fight these battles, battles better. And so as the game goes on, the battles get progressively more difficult. You have to build out your cards to reflect that. Um, And it's really difficult at first, but it has a really nice learning curve, in my opinion, where the first time you play it, you're probably going to die before you reach the end of level one. There are three different levels. You're probably going to die before you reach the end of level one. Um, there's like a bunch of different battles you fight along the way though, before you fight the fight the big boss. But the second time you play it, you're going to get a little bit farther. Third time, a little bit farther. And so you can really feel yourself, especially at the beginning, getting better at the game, which I find very satisfying whenever I play a video yeah, game. Instant gratification. I love that. Instant gratification. And it's kind of similar to Celeste in... It's really easy to pick up, even if you're not a quote unquote gamer, even if you don't do that a lot, you can still pick it up. Like my mom, she's not really a gamer, but I recommended this to her and she's like obsessed with it now. She loves it. And I kind of help her out with it all the time because I really enjoy the game too. So it's really fun talking about different strategies with her. Um, So it's a really nice kind of like bonding experience with us. And um, so... I would really recommend it for beginners. I would really recommend it for advanced people who like love games, but love like chill games that you can just play. Um, It's low risk because you know, it's going to be over in like two hours. It's not going to be like oblivion or something where the story's not going to be over for like 60 hours or however many hours of gameplay. It's a same, it's like a, a isolated little world but it still has some story pieces. It still has a little like tiny bit of character building like sprinkled here and there, but it's really about the gameplay. Um, And I find it really fun. It's really easy um, to pick up, really kind of slow gradual learning curve. So it's got that instant gratification. You can feel yourself getting better at the game. Uh, Highly recommend it. I I think it's really awesome. That sounds great. I should play that. That, you've got me, you've gotten me to play Celeste. So now I feel like I need to do Slay the Spire. That feels you do. like the natural next step in our relationship. Um, yes. Until I, too, can be a signed gamer. Not at birth, though. Not at birth. Because um, you were never born. Well, obviously not. I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry. I just... No, I was ready to go with it. I was like, yeah, I was never <laughs> born. That's the bit we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, do you have anything before we go? Yes, I do have something before we go. Um, so, in addition to trashy TV, I also sometimes watch good TV. It's less frequent, but I what? do. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Um, wow. 
So I'm sure everyone who is listening to this in like current time has probably already heard of this, but Squid Game on Netflix. Yes. It's this short nine episode sort of mini series. Um, and it's a dystopian TV show from Korea. And so the premise of the show is that these people who are really down on their luck, they all have what feels like an insurmountable amount of debt, these really desolate lives that they have no interest in continuing to live. Um, They all get picked out um, and you'll find out how sort of later on, but they all get picked out to participate in this series of games. Um, And so they're taken away, if they agree, they're taken away to this far off island where they play a series of children's games. Um, So they'll play things like Red Light, Green Light. And, uh, you know, because it's a Korean show, a lot of the games are Korean games. And so, um, you know, one of the games that they play is the Squid Game, which obviously I don't think you or I ever played, but they're like pushing each other and trying to, it's a very complicated game. I think it's meant to be simple, but because neither of us have ever heard of it or experienced it, we're like, I am so lost. I, they explained it really fast. I don't know what happened. The thing that I'm stuck on is they say that it's the squid game and it's called the squid game because you play on a field that looks like a squid, but then they show you the field and it's a square and a triangle and it's got some circles on it. Yeah, a squid. Classic squid. I'm not seeing it. I need someone to... It's like one of those um, Rorschach tests Mm. where, like, I see a lamp, you see a woman's face. I I can't see the squid. I just see shapes. And I see a squid. (laughs) So clearly, we got some Rorschaching to do. So, um... They play this game because they're told that if they win, they will receive however much money is accumulated based on people who lose the game. And so each person is assigned like a hundred thousand won, which is the currency in the game. It might be a million. I can't quite remember. And if you lose the game, it goes into this piggy bank and you're allowed to leave the game at any point in time. There are reasons why maybe you wouldn't want to, though. But that money accumulates throughout the game. If you choose to end the game, everyone has to agree to that. The majority has to agree to that. All of the money will go to the other people and their families. If you win, you get to split the prize money amongst yourself, which is why all of these people who owe like a fuck ton of money are interested in playing this game. This is a little bit of a spoiler, but it happens in the first episode, and it's pretty much the entire premise of the show, so I'm going to say it anyways. Um, The twist is that by losing the game, they kill you. As soon as you, you know, fail to complete the game, like, the way that they want, they will, like, shoot you, or the game is designed in a way that you'll just, like, naturally die from not winning. And so it's this, like, massive social commentary, in my opinion, on like capitalism and all of the failures of society to protect people who are poor or don't have anything um, versus these like elite wealthy who can just spend money however they want um, and put on these massive games. So it's a really, really phenomenal show. I think the cinematography is excellent. It is in Korean, so you'll have to do subtitles. Do the subtitles, not the closed captioning. The subtitles are much better. But yeah, that's the Squid Game. Yeah, I also watched the Squid Game its entirety um, 
agree. It is phenomenal. Please watch it. It's so, so good. Um, if you're a fan of something like the Hunger Games, it's very mm-hmm. similar in style to that. Uh, a little bit different in terms of themes mm-hmm. um, and just how the story kind of goes. But generally, if you're a fan of the Hunger Games books, asterisk, if you're a fan of the Hunger Games books, then you'll likely be a fan of this TV show. So please go watch it. It's so good. All right. Are we done? We're so done. Wrap Thank you, up. everybody, for listening. Thanks, everyone. Wrap it up. We'll see you on our next episode. See you next episode. Bye-bye. Thank you.